Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello and welcome to another episode of the UConn Football Pod. This is Amon Kidwai. I'm joined by Tucker Warner and Luke Swanson. The UConn football game is season opener is just days away this Saturday, 4 p.m. UConn will be visiting Utah State. You can watch it on FS1. We will have uh, an in-depth preview of that opponent and what to expect a little bit later in the podcast. But first, we do want to talk about the biggest news surrounding the program right now the departure of defensive coordinator Lou Spanos. Spanos was the defensive coordinator on last year's staff under Randy Edsel, and then the interim head coach once Edsel departed in the middle of the season. He was also miraculously retained for the new staff under head coach Jim Mora. So uh, that was really the situation going into the season. We felt, uh, okay, interesting decision, but maybe there's some continuity benefits and, and what have you. Mora has also previously worked with Spanos at UCLA, where he was Mora's defensive coordinator, uh, although that was a long time ago. At any rate, now Spanos is gone. What does this mean for UConn right now? Honestly, I always thought it was a little weird that he was retained in the first place. I think that, like, if you read if you read the tea leaves, it was pretty clear that Spanos wasn't Mora's first choice, and eventually went down the list. Is it worth uh, keeping him on and retaining guys like Jackson Mitchell, guys like uh, Ian Swenson? who might, uh, might benefit with the continuity versus going out and, and going way down your list for a defensive coordinator, for maybe hiring someone uh, who's new to the role. So that was weird, but okay, we want some continuity. And then you know, just weird reports during camp. Like, uh, again, this is easy to say after the fact, and it was reported on after the fact that he, he missed a couple, uh, couple uh, practices of fall camp. So there might've been some, discord there it's honestly we haven't really heard a peep since uh the announcement of the actual reason reasoning behind his uh leave of absence but again it's pretty easy to read between the lines there and yeah as it was a head scratching move to retain him to begin with and now it seems like he's he's not going to be a coach at uconn any longer so uh we'll, we'll see if uh, any, any of the, the, the younger uh, uh, position coaches like uh, like Hilliard at the defensive backs can sort of step up into that role. Uh, it seems that, like as of now, Mora will be running his defense and he'll be in charge of uh, potentially calling plays. So that's my take on the situation. It was weird to begin with, and it's not a huge surprise that it didn't work out even before the first season. Obviously, uh, losing your defensive coordinator a week before the season is not something you want. So we'll, we'll see how, uh, how they react game one. Yeah, long term, I still have a lot of questions about this move and really where they go from here as they try to revamp their defense overall. Although in the short term, I don't really have quite as many questions, and it doesn't seem like it's going to have as big an impact as you would typically expect from a team no longer having its defensive coordinator a week before the season starts. You know, your head coach and Jim Mora is a defensive guy for the most part. Uh, all the positional assistants are staying on board and they've got the same continuity that they've been, uh, you know, developing with and establishing with these players over the course of the entire offseason. So even though Spanos isn't here anymore, that doesn't necessarily make it's a necessarily a big shakeup for the entire defense as a whole. I think that they're still going to have a lot of the same systems in place that Mora wanted. And I think that the 
really we're not going to necessarily see a huge difference on the field as a result. Um, I remember last year, a couple players were uh, after a viral tweet went around where it seemed like uh, Spanos was having trouble rallying the players going out of a timeout. um, You know, it made the rounds and people said how bad of a look it was. And certain players went on Twitter to say like, Hey, we actually like and support this guy a lot. Um, You know, like don't take this out of context you know, Spanos is our guy. Well, those players aren't on the UConn roster this year anyway. So all that means is that this probably isn't as big of a deal right now as you would expect, but it kind of gives them a leg up on hopefully finding their long-term defensive coordinator for next season. Yeah. I mean, I think if this is a season where you are expecting big things from UConn or, or, a football team, then of course it's bad to lose the defensive coordinator uh, for, for this at this point, just days before the season is supposed to start. And, and really, you know, as you're starting to begin prep for, for your first, first opponent, certainly not good in terms of timing, but I really agree. It, It doesn't really mean much for UConn in this situation. We are not expecting UConn to be some sort of, (laughs) CFB playoff competitor and uh, Vegas did not update its line, you know, its win projection or, (laughs) or over under for UConn as a result of this. And I think that's accurate. We don't need to adjust our projected win total for UConn based on the loss of the defensive coordinator. Um, Again, I'm not sure if that says more about UConn football or Luz Panos, but either way, Again, despite the fact that it's bad to lose your defensive coordinator, I don't think losing Spanos is a big loss for UConn in this moment. Jim Mora does have a background as a defensive coach. The position coaches, just kind of if you look through the bios and see who might be a potential interim, I don't know if there is one, to be honest. All of them started their coaching careers relatively recently. And so I think, um, you know, the, the interim situation, someone might get named an interim DC and, and in that case, good for them. But uh, I think this is going to be really that the position coaches stay where they are more leans in defensively. And um, like Tucker said, I think, I think more or less, we're going to see the same performance and style from the defense that we otherwise would have anyway and whatever changes schematically or whatever uh, we we can hope might be better, but ultimately not a ton of difference or meaning here for UConn. A lot of the negative impacts that can be projected from this are kind of extrapolating because I'm on your right. It's not going to be a huge scheme change. We're not expecting huge things about UConn football this year. It's really just the locker room you kind of have to worry about because I still think that Spanos was retained for a non-football reason and a chemistry reason. And he might've been a quote unquote, let go for a non-football chemistry reason, uh, reason. There's a lot of, a lot of things floating around out there, but it, 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 the hope is it doesn't lead to a locker room rift. I'm not saying it's going to, but it's just a possibility with these weird movements with uh, a defensive coordinator he, i think i don't i don't know i yeah he was na- I named interim head coach last year i was gonna say he had a higher title than defensive coordinator but the, the interim head coach was what i was thinking about and the whole thing last year with Mora coming on and, and coaching coaching from this air quotes coaching from the sidelines too was always sort of sort of weird to me as well so there's definitely some sort of strange dynamic there but uh, again, it's all speculation in terms of what it means for the actual UConn season and scheme and expectations wise. I don't think it changes a whole lot. And honestly, I'll go as far as to say that I don't think the chemistry aspect matters as much anymore either. I think with the positional assistance you have, especially on the defensive end, that a lot of these players are already bought in and have relationships with the coaches that they need in order to find success and stick around long-term. So, you know, a guy like Sariki Diabate comes to mind, the linebackers coach, um, a young coach, but relates really well to the players. 
uh, everybody from players to coach to administrators raves about this guy and how great he is. So, you know, I don't think that he's necessarily going to be, you know, the interim defensive coordinator or anything, but that's one guy who comes to mind with regards to why I don't think that chemistry issue that might have led to Spanos staying on in the first place is really going to become as much of a problem right now, now that he is no longer with the team. Yep. And, and Diabate is the elder statesman as it relates to position coaches on the defensive side. Both are both are actually even younger than him, but he does, you're right, have a really strong resume. He's coached at uh, Syracuse, Notre Dame, Middle Tennessee. He's also participated in some NFL uh, internship programs. So he's probably, you know, if there was someone who would nominally be called the interim DC, probably the person that that we would be be thinking of but again i'm not i'm not sure how much of that actual responsibility would be on this guy's plate in which case you know we might be concerned i think um i think this is going to fall back to more uh, again as as i said earlier yeah the diamante's resume at middle tennessee state is pretty it's pretty decent he uh coached khalil brooks who was an all-conference player uh the guy, uh, Darius Harris, I think he had some national recognition. And so I think if the, these guys like uh, Diabate, like Hillier, the the defensive backs coach, they uh, they kind of have a lot to gain here uh, in good experience, sort of fill that void again. Basically, more should be calling the plays, but the those guys who don't have a ton of coaching experience, it's a pretty big opportunity for them this year. Uh, just one related note, uh, speaking as someone who may or may not have a particular tie to a Syracuse football program, uh, I believe this is Sariki Diabate's first full season away from Scott Schaefer, because that was uh, where he held his first job and also played at Syracuse. Ooh. And then he coached at Middle Tennessee for four or five years. So uh, Scott Schaefer, um, I hope that you taught this man well, and we are lucky to have uh, Sariki Diabate as our linebackers coach right now. Schaefer, while bad as a head coach for, for Syracuse he's a defensive guy yes okay so some some uh valuable tutelage there maybe uh from Syracuse we can never be too sure uh well at least UConn football lives up to its billing it is still weird losing your defensive coordinator nine days before the season opener is one of the most unusual things that can happen to a football team so we're getting the season started off on a very interesting note at the very least. Uh, the season will get started in earnest. As we mentioned, week zero, UConn football will be part of the action on Saturday. They're playing Utah State. Uh, as we mentioned in the last podcast, the Aggies are 27-point favorites over the Huskies in this contest, which will be taking place at Maverick Stadium in Logan, Utah. Um, so we, you know, we know that, that Utah state is certainly expected to be a, a far better team than the Huskies again, this year, fresh off of 11 wins and a mountain West title last year, Luke, what stands out to you about this, this Utah state opponent that UConn is facing to open the season? Last season, they kind of, they had really the, the dream season that every, every UConn football fan would really. I would really ever, ever dream about. They went from, uh, I think it was a one and 11 record to, I think they, I think they flipped it around. Yeah. They flipped it around to 11 and one. And really uh, what else could you ask for? If you're a fan of that school, just a complete turnaround. Their offense was, I think top uh, 40 in the country uh, in uh, efficiency, a top 30 in explosiveness, just a really tremendous, tremendous turnaround on their end and it folks it, it seems like they're not gonna uh, back down anytime soon with this group of guys uh, logan bonner their quarterback is back he threw for 3600 yards last year 36 touchdowns 12 interceptions uh just a tremendously efficient passing attack so uh, calvin tower jr uh they're running back he he was running back by committee last year with uh uh Ellie Leon Noah, I should not have attempted to pronounce that name. Uh, he transferred out of the program and Tower Jr. has the starting job now. 
uh, he had 911 yards with uh, sharing the duty with uh, Noah. So he's going to be uh, really a, a threat out of the backfield as well. So tremendous offense, uh, ex- explosive defense last year. And uh, they, it goes without saying they should really be a handful for UConn this week. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be quite as bad as that 49 nothing loss that Jake Hayner and Fresno State handed us to open the season last year uh, in punishing 90-some degree heat. Uh, I think it's still going to be pretty hot out there in Utah, so maybe that part won't alleviate a bit. Uh, but I think this game is going to be a little bit closer than the uh, d- pretty dreadful season opener that we watched in 2021. Um, one thing you know to note about Logan Bonner, uh, the QB, who is excellent. I think he's a very good Mountain West QB, and there's a lot of pretty good quarterbacks in that conference. Uh, nonetheless, he can get a little fast and loose with the ball sometimes, throw a little more interceptions than you'd expect uh, from someone with the, you know, the passing targets that he had. And this year, he's got to replace, I believe, his top three receivers from last season. Uh, so right now, he's going to have Justin McGriff coming in and likely be his number one. That guy's six six, but I don't know what t- sort of uh, separation that he can have, you know, with uh, you know faster guys. And I don't know if he's going to be more of that, you know, possession receiver or someone who can be a deep threat as well. And if he can, that's going to spell trouble for UConn. Uh, our size really cannot match up with him in the secondary. And I don't think that we have a coverage linebacker who's really capable of matching up with another team's number one receiver. So that presents itself with an issue. I think that the UConn defense is really going to have to figure out a game plan around McGriff. Uh, I think no matter what, uh, Calvin Tyler is going to be running as much as he can all over us. Uh, But nonetheless, we haven't seen him necessarily be a superstar back either. So if this is another game where UConn gives up you know, a touchdown or even a score every possession, I think that's going to be a failure of the defense. We should be able to get some stops against them. Uh, Overall, you know, Utah State's going to put up a lot of points. They're going to move the ball and we're going to have trouble stopping them. Uh, But if it leaks to the point like we saw in 2017 or 2018, when it was just touchdown after touchdown, every play, then, then our defense is in serious trouble. Yeah, I mean, I think better than last year's season opener is kind of the bar for for expectations here. Get a few more stops, put up some points. I think Blake Anderson in his second year as head coach uh, of this team coming from Arkansas State, you're absolutely right, Luke, orchestrated a turnaround, the likes of which UConn fans can only dream to see. And uh, in addition to their success from last year, they returned 12 starters uh, as as Tucker mentioned, they did lose a lot of wide receiver talent, but they do have incoming transfers from Alabama, Maryland, and junior college who all could potentially slot right in there. I mean, as we've discussed, wide receiver, if if the rest of the battery is there, you know, as it relates to quarterback, O-line, the coaching, then maybe you can just plug in some guys and and do pretty well there. Bonner uh, was also noted to be interception prone. I think that does represent an opportunity just in terms of his accuracy and decision-making. And, you know, with respect to the run game, I I do think they're going to try to run the ball as much as possible, but that is not their strength as an offense. I think I saw 3.6 yards per carry last year. And, And again, if we're talking about just things to keep an eye on for UConn, they are probably going to lose this game, but if they can prevent Utah State from running all over them, that would be a, a solid look. If they can draw a few mistakes out of a mistake-prone quarterback, that would also be good. Uh, defense is not a strength of Utah State's necessarily. So I think that's also, again, this is all representing a solid test on some elements and dimensions for UConn. It's not going to be, again, um, some situation where we think UConn could could sneakily compete. But I do think um, on both sides of the ball, there are elements to keep an eye on, whether it's the running game when Utah State has the ball or um, the the uh, UConn's ability to gain yardage uh, against a team that gave up a ton of yards and first downs last year. Uh, th- those are going to be kind of what what we're looking for. I think this game's going to be determined 
in the like if UConn has any chance of getting it close, it's going to be determined in the big plays. I think mm-hmm. that with uh, with what Tucker, what you were saying about uh, Bonner's mistake bonus, I, I don't know. It's I don't want to say it's overblown. It's definitely not overblown, but I think that if UConn's secondary has a chance to to kind of limit the passing attack, it will be with those big with those interceptions, those those big plays. And then on the other side of the ball, Utah State's defense. They're really they're, they're the opposite of bend don't break. They're uh, they're either stand firm or give up a ton of yards. So they're they're really prone to big plays. I think that's maybe one of the bigger weaknesses in this team, and maybe and what might keep them from another Mountain West championship this year. I think that if UConn can uh, get the vertical passing game going, it'll be their best chance in, in sort of turning it into a little bit of a shootout because I think that Utah State is going to put up some uh, some points on them. I, but I think that uh, UConn's offense will be equally – will be not equally as capable, but, but maybe about half as capable as, uh, as pulling that off. The, the issue there is they're going to have to uh, give – we assume Robertson's going to be the starting quarterback, but they're going to give whoever uh, lines up uh, behind the center some time to throw the ball. And uh, Utah State has some very decent defensive line talent. Uh, they return Byron Vaughn's 10 and a half tackles for loss last year. And uh, you're going to have to bear with me on this one. Hale Motuapaku, who had eight tackles for loss last year. And they, they're both uh, pretty big veteran uh, presences in that defensive line and durable too. They started all 14 games and they have a Nevada transfer. One of the better defensive ends in the conference that wasn't on those kind of top tier teams, Boise state, uh, Utah state, Fresno state, uh, Daniel, Dan Grziak. And he's going to be kind of their pass rushing specialist. So they have a good deep defensive line. So if UConn is going to take advantage of that vertical uh, passing attack proneness, they're gonna the offensive line's gonna have to step up in a in a pretty big way that we haven't seen in recent seasons. Yeah, definitely. Thing uh, the thing to know about Utah State's defense as a whole is that their front four is a lot better than uh, I would say their secondary, but really their back seven. If UConn can actually get some passing uh, attacks off, find some deep balls make some big plays, uh, then they might have a fighting chance in this one. I think that's going to be a tough sell. Uh, it might not be all that easy uh, that I'm making it sound, but I, I think that that's really going to end up being, like Luke said, the key to the game here. Uh, if we can kind of attack their cornerbacks and fend off some of these rushes from the defensive backs, that could end up you know, spelling a closer game than expected. I won't say upset quite yet. But if you want to win the game, you have to keep it close first. I think there is a pathway for them to do it. And obviously it's going to come down to execution uh, as all coaches say, but you know, if they're, if they're getting hammered by the pass rush, they can at least like try a couple slants, uh, go into the box and really make them uh, make the Utah state defense work uh, through what I would consider a surplus of quality wide receivers that UConn does have. I think that there's also going to be a couple opportunities if they get outside of the box on run plays for Nate Carter, or maybe even a couple swing passes to a guy like Bruton or Devonte Houston. You know, there's a way that I could see a close game happening. I simply do not think that it's going to be the uh, necessarily the most likely outcome here. Uh, I'm hedging my bets very, very carefully with all this. Um, I still think that this game is most likely going to end up not being close, but there's a pathway. It could happen, but a lot has to go right. And UConn, uh, the, speaking of uh, get, getting those big plays going, I don't think we've potted since that Cam Ross injury. Really, really unfortunate news for him, breaking his other foot in fall camp, uh, missing last year with a foot injury. Now he breaks his other foot. So uh, don't come to me asking if it's left or right. I don't, I don't recall that information, but yeah, that's a really uh, tough opportunity for the kid. And um, honestly, you can only hope that he recovers well and can possibly feature in next year's off season next and next year's season. 
Yeah, it looks like he's just been struck with terrible injury luck. Um, it doesn't seem like he's doing anything other than working hard, staying conditioned, and still just getting hurt anyway. Uh, so I really feel for him, especially as a guy who has definitely made a huge impact on this team in the past. Nonetheless, how that affects the team, we've still got a couple very good wide receivers who can slot in in his place and still contribute and still make um, you know important contributions to the team offensively. I think that... You know, we do have a couple undersized guys kind of in the same mold as Ross who could fit in there uh, and won't be afraid to mix it up in the box as well. Um, I think also, you know, we, we never really got to see Ross play alongside, uh, you know, Keelan Marion, who really had a breakout uh, this past year. Uh, we didn't get to see him play against, obviously, any of the transfers who are coming in. And I think that we've got, you know, if Dejon Harrison is as good as some of the comments out of camp have made him sound like, it's possible that he can just slot right into the starting lineup without missing a step. So, you know, this is where depth gets you. If one of your supposed star players or projected star players, I should say, we know how good he is, uh, gets down or goes down with an injury. We have the options to replace him and we're not just trying to figure out like, Oh, okay. Who's next. Uh, I don't know you freshman get out there. We can fill them in with a quality player uh, who's got experience, who's got some size, who's got, you know, playing ability, and it's not necessarily going to ruin the team uh, like some of the Edsel years when they just did not have a suitable replacement at any position. So thank you for the surplus of wide receivers. I'm happy that we have that. And this is part of why this was considered a position of strength. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, I mean, Ross injury, obviously very sad, very unfortunate, uh, as you guys both went through, especially for it to just happen two years in a row, same kind of injury. It's, it's, uh, and sitting out a 2020 season uh, in that, in that mix as well for your college career, uh, just, just a rough time. So uh, definitely thoughts out for, for Cam Ross. There is the question of, you know, this in this coming game, UConn's first live action, we are going to see who's going to stand out. Who's going to stand out at receiver? Who's going to get the carries after Nate Carter? You know, who's going to get the snaps and and uh, and opportunities after Nate Carter at running back? Who's going to play on the offensive line? Something that, you know, we can we can really only guess and project at. Uh, and of course, what happens at quarterback? So we're expecting Roberson to be the starter here. Who knows what the split or situation looks like? We know that Zion Turner is emerging as a legitimate candidate in this competition and that there are three guys vying for playing time. So what do you think the split under center will look like? for this game or, or what could it look like, you know, depending on how things play out? You know, I would say that we're going to see most often Taquan Roberson take the field. Um, I, I think that, you know, will somebody get mixed in? Yes, because this is probably not going to be a close game by the end. But I think while this game is competitive, we're going to see mostly Roberson out there. He appeared to be the most ready out of camp. And that really can't be understated going into the first game of the season. But at the same time, you look at some of these guys and it doesn't sound like any of them are quite ready to get that many snaps uh, at quarterback under uh, like in this first game, uh, you know, like 
Tyler Pumachan, for example, still recovering from injury a little bit, probably not 100% just yet, uh, didn't always look like himself in camp. And even last year was a little bit on the raw side and needed to make some improvements before he could really become a major factor. Uh, Zion Turner, obviously a lot of, um, you know, potential there with him. Uh, you know, I like the way that he threw the ball or throws the ball. And I did talk last week also about how I thought that he was being given a real chance to win the starters job out of camp. And I just don't know if that's, you know, if it's in the cards for him to start week one right away. So will these guys be worked in at some point? I think almost certainly yes. Uh, but in terms of who's getting the majority of the snaps, I think it's Roberson. And I think he might even see, unless something goes terribly wrong, I think he might even be the starter and not seed the way until the game is out of reach. What do you think? Yeah. Luke? Okay. yeah I think that you got to remember that, especially at UConn, the guy who starts the season at, with the starting job, most likely, I don't know, most likely, but it's, it's prop, maybe a coin flip odds that they'll continue the, the entirety of the year as a starter. Uh, we've seen a lot, a lot of QBs by committee before, especially last year, not really by choice where a lot of guys get the, get the nod for the starting role. And although last year might've been a bit of uh, maybe an error in judgment, naming Sergio Otis, the starting quarterback, it's it still, it, it still comes into play this year as well. The, the, the position is far from settled. And I think it's pretty good odds that the player who starts the year will not be the one that finishes it, whether it's by uh, not knock on wood, God forbid injury or by outplaying, the, or, or by the backup outplaying the starter uh, in, in garbage time. I think that uh, either way, it, it's it's pretty likely that the QB battle will uh, at least continue throughout the first couple of weeks of the season. Interesting. I think there's a decent argument for someone else to get first team reps in this game. Even um, I think the scenario for that is is something that would maybe look like last year's season opener, which was, you know, first four drives. <laughs> I don't remember the exact number, but it felt like six total yards after four drives or whatever. And if, and if we see that level of struggle, I do think there's a decent chance that either Pumachan or, or Turner gets a shot with the first team or um, maybe in the third quarter, uh, first first team offense goes out and and a new quarterback goes out with the game you know being well in hand and Utah State most likely up multiple scores I could see either of those situations just because Moro's got to see what he's got with these people and playing them with the second team obviously it's it's a completely different situation and scenario and you're not going to get the same opportunity for evaluation I do think looking ahead at the schedule, we can also guess that playing Central Connecticut the following week in the home owner, home opener also gives Mora that opportunity to see as much as possible from these three contenders for the starting quarterback job. But I also think, uh, you know, this, this game represents a different opportunity that, uh, Mora may still want to see again Pumachon or Turner, whoever his favorite is for second string duties right now, to get a shot. I, I think just because of how big of a question mark this position is, the possibility for even more of a mix in this game is is there for me at least. I think that it's it's an interesting topic because I think that a lot of programs in the country. The, the idea of using the first game of the season as sort of just like a, a an extended fall camp, a, a tryout for both quarterbacks without sort of that competitive justification would be a little, it wouldn't really be received super well. But again, we talk about it on this, on this podcast all the time. The rules are a little different for UConn. And I don't think that a, a whole lot of fans are expecting this game to be super competitive so it's just it's just a weird situation that the that the program is in where uh it is a possibility that they do use a, the first game of the season as as sort of a as sort of a trial and it'd be it'd be nice if we could have if if we had i'm not saying this is the goal or anything but 
it'd be one thing if it, we had two quarterbacks starting or vying for a position in the office that offer very different things where well, you could put them in in different, different scenarios, different, uh, different uh, game scenarios. But I think uh, Turner, Pumachan and Robertson, they're, they're not the same player by any means, but they do offer a lot of the same things. There's then there's no, no one player who suit, who has an extremely different play style than any of the, any of the other two. So it is a little bit of a strange position that UConn finds themselves in, but you're right. I'm on, I, I could see that happening. So on Tuesday, we also got our first look at the depth chart. The first one for this season, a lot of interesting stuff that we learned from that, that initial release from Jim Mora. We got a look at who the starters are going to be across the defense, really, where lots of it was, was a little bit up in the air. Starters at the offensive line, who won the second wide receiver job. Lots and lots of interesting stuff to go through on the depth, on the depth chart itself. First things first, though, at the quarterback position, the competition we have all been keeping our eyes really close on throughout camp listed four people as <laughs> timeshare holders of the starting job. So Taquan Roberson listed first, Kale Millen, Zion Turner, and Tyler Pumachon all listed on the depth chart as starters with or next to it. This is, uh, of course, some gamesmanship perhaps from, from Coach Mora, but Tucker, what do you think about what, what the quarterback depth chart looks like here? Uh, if this is an attempt to hide who the starter is going to be uh, for Saturday against Utah State, I'm not sure that this is actually a great job of it. Obviously, they're not considering starting four different quarterbacks. Uh, the The quarterback battle is not completely wide open right now to the point where it's an equal opportunity for all four. Uh, they know who the starter is. They know who the second stringer is. And I don't know why they aren't saying it. Uh, I understand that one of the very, very few advantages that UConn has over Utah State right now is that this is basically a brand new team with a brand new coach, new look, and as a result, they want to force them to prepare for any number of possibilities, and therefore withholding the starting quarterback might influence uh, their focus a little bit more. But at the same time, come on, guys, uh, we're now four days away from game time you can at least let people know who the starting quarterback is going to be because clearly the coaching staff knows i agree tucker it's not really worth it. i never really got that sort of gamesmanship from uh from head coaches in general it's it's rampant all around the sport honestly i think a, a reason for this could be sort of a motivational attempt like uh stepping in stepping inside the head of a coach for a second uh, it could very easily be like, hey, no, look, none of you have really earned it to be a starter. So we're going to list all of you as equal on the depth chart, just just to sort of put up on a put up on the whiteboard and and uh, use it to use it to pump up the quarterbacks. And as a tactic like that, that's really the only other possibility I could see other than uh, uh, other than a little a uh, little of that classic college football coaching gamesmanship we all know and love. If that's the case, it's it's mostly a motivator for for Roberson, who should be the runaway, you know, starter in this yeah. situation to yeah. be like, well, you know, it's really it's really his reputation that's being affected, I think, by the absolutely uh, the perception that nobody has has stood out enough to win the starting quarterback job. And I would just add, you know, especially like throwing in Kale Millen, this redshirt sophomore who hasn't even suited up uh, as a quarterback at the FBS level at all um, is, is someone who uh, it's, it's not like Utah state needs to prepare for Kale Millen, you know, go, Oh, okay. He's listed there on the depth chart. So now we got to do a four hours of prep on him. And now we're at a big disadvantage. That's not, that's not happening. So I don't even know how much gamesmanship there is in, in, in this case. And I think it, you know, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> Coaches hate this one trick. 
coaches hate this one trick uh make uh making them watch four hours of a northern arizona film <laughs> serious yeah. i really don't think he, he they honestly think that's happening so that's what kind of makes me lean more towards the motivational route the other the other um you know place where that that could be occurring and possibly the largest surprise on this on this depth chart if we uh were to single something out would be robert burns the graduate student who transferred from Miami um, listed as the number one running back and Nate Carter listed as number two. We obviously all felt like Carter was, was pretty clearly the number one. I think nobody is um, expecting anything to be different in terms of who gets the most carries. What could be going on with Robert Burns named as the starter at running back? Be honest with you, I wish I knew. Uh, I, I almost feel like that has to be some sort of mistake or misprint or something along those lines. And I mean no disrespect to Robert Burns. I think he was fine in the uh, the games that he did play last year. Uh, he only had about 12 to 15 carries, uh, something in that range. So uh, this is not somebody who has a ton of experience like you'd expect someone of his age when you know that you did have Nate Carter go through a full season as a starter before. Uh Burns definitely one of the older players on the roster. We don't have many seniors or grad or grad student seniors, uh, anything along those lines. Um, and, and so, yeah, I understand that he was going to be getting a lot of playing time this year as a result. Uh, nonetheless, uh, unless they've seen something to indicate that uh, Burns should be playing over Carter, I'm going to be honest, I'm pretty puzzled by this one. Getting deja vu, not only with uh, naming multiple starters at an offensive position from last year, uh, also in regards to uh, the star running back from the previous year, sort of getting, uh, getting, uh, what's the phrase I'm looking for? Getting knocked down a, a peg preseason. And uh, like last happened last year with Kevin Menson. Now, obviously, there could have been other uh, extenuating circumstances that we don't know that it was uh, not a performance thing. It's likely that it, based on his, his games last year, that it, it very well could have been a performance thing, but so that's where I think uh, this uh, weird depth chart thing with Carter could be different, but uh, honestly, I think that we're all in agreement that uh, Carter's going to lead the team in carries. Uh, at the in the Utah State game and going forward, and if he didn't, it would be a it would be a surprise and uh, would be a, a Kevin Mensel Mensel level uh, a surprise there in the running backs room. So, and what's interesting there is that at least last season, Mensa was the starter for the first five games of the year, and then just got uh, outplayed. Uh, and I wouldn't say benched as a result until later in the year, but uh, certainly. You know, Carter earned his opportunities to be the number one guy. And from what we've seen on the field so far, uh, Carter is still the best running back on this roster right now. So I, I assume that he is going to get the lion's care of the Sherry's uh, lion's share of the carries. That's a great spoonerism uh, on Saturday against Utah State. Uh, but nonetheless, this is an interesting way to uh, put the depth chart out there, um, though I have to imagine that there's some influence to uh, with uh Brian Bruton not appearing on the depth chart at all, that he may be injured and therefore not appearing as a result of that. Mm -hmm. Right. So, I mean, if assuming this is not an error, the possibilities then become, you know, some real weird situations or whatever. But um, one possibility is just that this guy had a good camp and maybe is in line for a larger role than we thought. And um, I guess counter Tamora's gamesmanship at quarterback. He wants to project that he's got a, a new guy who's going to do well at the position. So maybe it's like Burns is going to be having a larger role than we thought. Um, I'm not sure how likely that is. The only other thing I could think is like a ceremonial thing. Like it's, it's his senior year and he's the starter for game one, some, something like that. That would be, that would be pretty weird. I yeah. Don't, exactly. I don't know if it's something I've heard of before. Yeah, maybe, like maybe a, the final game of the year, but maybe. Yeah. And he's not a career UConn guy either. So it's yeah. like, so it doesn't really, honestly, anyway, that was definitely was, the most weird thing about the, the depth chart. And 
but anyway, probably not a um, probably not a, a major signifier of of anything at at any rate. If it was a pure performance thing, I would have thought that uh, Devonte Houston would have uh, would have gotten the nod, but he, he's nowhere to be found on the depth chart. So that's 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 another sort of puzzling thing. Definitely not as major as the Carter thing, but it's just thinking out loud. Yeah. He'll get snaps. I think he was no matter what going to be uh, no higher than third on the depth chart going into the year. And they've only listed two players uh, per yeah. position on this. So uh, I'm not as worried about him not appearing on there as I am about Bruton, who we all expected would be in line to be returning kicks this year uh, where he excelled last season. And so, you know, with, uh, with Keelan Marion and Nathan Carter uh, listed right there again, you know, you just have to wonder about Bruton. Uh, hopefully he's all right. I, I know I said in previous podcasts that I don't expect him to have a huge share in the offense, but on special teams, he's pretty invaluable returning kicks. So yeah. uh, I'm a little worried. Bruton might be injured as we, as we have discussed. And I think the um, severity of that is, is still yet to be known, but um, yeah, definitely an opportunity for him. At receiver, we also learned a ton there about kind of how things are are shaking up. Um, I guess to start, Kevin's Clercius gets the starting nod at the number two receiver opposite Keelan Marion, who was listed first for the for the starting receiver job. The top backups for the outside receiver are Matt Drayton and Nigel Fitzgerald, the transfer from Old Dominion, who is six foot three. We also had two starters listed at the flanker position. Uh, that's sophomore Aaron Turner and redshirt freshman Dejon Harrison, the transfer from Texas. So I know we've, we've discussed this a little bit, but what do you guys think about the, uh, the way things turned up at receiver? Well, the two starters on the outside are the two that I expected it to be. Uh, Matt Drayton is still going to get a lot of targets this year as long as he stays healthy. Uh, Nigel Fitzgerald obviously going to do the same as basically the only big target that uh, our quarterbacks have to throw to. Uh, the sort of flanker position that they've got listed right now, more of the slot receiver running type. Uh, I, I thought that was going to be Dejon Harrison getting the start over Turner. Uh, I know Turner had... Uh, on paper, a big year last year, leading the team in receptions and staying healthy uh, for the whole season. But honestly, I, I was not terribly impressed with his play. I thought that he dropped the ball a lot and was really, he was not a downfield threat for the most part. So even though having that like short yardage threat is important to a team, I thought somebody like Harrison might be seen as more of a versatile option, uh, someone who offers a few more looks to the team than Turner. Uh, but hey, if Turner if his hands improved over the off season, I think that he's really going to make an impact because he is a guy who frequently can get open underneath. Uh, and there is a ton of value to that. I think if anything, this might be the position, the flight position might be the position where the starting role is based on experience more than anything else. And even it's weird to say that about a sophomore, but Obviously, as everyone, as we all know, UConn is full of sophomores with uh, upper, with uh, more upperclassmen's worth of game experience. So, I, I think this is the one area where, where that might be coming into play. But it would not surprise me at all if uh, Dejon Harrison found his way at, into being a starter at that uh, at that sort of uh, uh, flaker position going forward. Maybe even as soon as next week, or certainly uh, part part way through the season. We also got finally some info on the offensive line and who our starters are starting at left tackle and going right across the line. We've got Valentin Sen at left tackle, Noel Oforiniadu at left guard, Jake Guidon at center, Christian Haynes at right guard, Chase Lunt at right tackle. Uh, Guidon is, a, is an incoming transfer. Other than that, it looks like none of the other transfers cracked the two deep. Um, so those guys are, are depth for now, but um, look, I, you know, looking at the O-line, obviously something we're, we're concerned about going into the season. I think the concerns are rightfully there. One thing I will just say is, you know, looking at it, 
if all of this group can stay together, it's a solid group. And if they stay together for one or two years, maybe it's a maybe it's a decent O-line down the road. Anyway, for now, how what do you guys think about the the starting offensive line? Well, I think it's pretty clear that they had the guys they wanted all along. Uh, it doesn't look like any changes have been made to what, for the most part, what we expected uh, even early in the offseason. I think that the five that they've picked out, as well as the two players listed as backups, because only seven offensive linemen are even named on the depth chart. These are the guys that everybody expected to be able to play. Uh, so if somebody like Dane Shore, the Alabama transfer, isn't on here, that's more or less purely because he is a true freshman right now and true freshmen infrequently get the chance to start uh, or even play significant snaps on the offensive line at the FBS level. So, you know, they're going with the experience. They're going with the players that they've had for multiple seasons who have actually been on a college roster for more than one year. I think that's probably smart to start the season. Um, obviously, this is not going to be the same way the offensive line depth chart looks over the course of the year. But if they wanted to start with experience and make sure that uh, everybody who'd been here for a year or everybody who had, you know, seen the field already got a chance to be the starters and significant contributors right away, well, then that strategy makes sense to me. And here we are. Yeah, I don't think there's any huge surprises here. I think that really the only drama on the offensive line, and it's not even really drama, really the only question in the offensive line was wh whether we'd see Fortin or uh, Lund. At, uh, at tackle, mm -hmm. but uh, it's been answered. I, I think we did expect that uh, Lunt would eventually win that job. And he has, a, it is a little humorous just to see me basically uh, to see Fortin listed as a backup to three positions. He honestly could be listed as backup to all five. Mm -hmm. uh, he, he's been used in that, in, in that role in camp and uh, also, and also last year. So not too many surprises there. I think that, it's going to be pretty hard to be as bad of a unit as last year. And so any, any improvements there, which I think should definitely come with uh, the sort of uh, fortification of the, the inside part of the line with uh, Guidon and Haynes returning as really a, a, one of the more talented linemen on the team. I think that yeah, it should be hard to get too much worse. So. Yeah, Sen and Sen and Lund are definitely going to be taking their lumps out there on the outside. Hopefully, they grow from the experience. <laughs> is is the best that we can we can hope for at this time. Hopefully, they maintain their health and can grow from the from the experience. Defensively, on the front seven, I would say you know not not a lot to break down or not a lot of surprises. You know, the people we talked about who would be kind of the starters and key contributors, all listed there. Uh, Marquez Benbury, transfer from Kentucky, listed as the starter at left outside linebacker. Uh, Brandon Bowie Randall, uh, another transfer from the Power Five school who was at Texas Tech and Michigan State, uh, listed as the starting right outside linebacker. We've got Ian Swenson and Jackson Mitchell, a couple of longtime Huskies as the inside linebackers. Um, some interesting stuff at, at defensive back. One transfer did make the two deep, but um, I know we were we have some concerns, particularly at defensive back uh, and how the, the front seven is going to be able to contain the run. But um, anything jump out at you guys just now that we have a chance to see the depth chart? Well, the front seven, I think the starters are pretty much exactly who we expected it to be uh, between McDoya, Gordian, or McDuffie, Sequoia McDuffie, and Spoonerizing again, uh, Delma Gordian and Eric Watts on the front three. Uh, we knew this was going to be a three, four, and we had basically pegged the front seven exactly as it turned out to be in terms of starters. Uh, I'm not sure anybody really knew who second string was going to be at every position. Uh, other than Hunter Webb uh, was almost certainly going to be the first linebacker uh, off the bench into the rotation. Uh, one surprise there, though, is a uh, former walk-on John Bechtel, who just got his scholarship earlier in the week, uh, being listed as the backup on the right outside. And, uh, you know, good for him. Uh, obviously, in order to make that work, you have to really work your butt off in camp. And it seems like he certainly did that, uh, being you know surprised with not only the scholarship, but actually being listed on the depth chart. Uh, that's awesome. Way to go, John Bechtel. Uh, in the backfield, though, and that secondary, you know, 
this is not what I expected. Um, you, you can take a look at the cornerbacks right now, and I could almost make the case that uh, the two guys listed as backup might be a better unit than the starters. Um, with Caleb Anthony and Trey Wortham being listed as the starters right now, and Missouri transfer Chris Sharon and Miles Bell being the backups. Uh, I might consider reversing that. Uh, certainly those are the four best corners on the roster right now. Uh, but between the two of them, I'm a, a little unsure. Definitely when Miles Bell was healthy last season, he was the best offensive back that we had on the entire team. And it's weird to see him not listed as a starter unless he isn't quite a hundred percent just yet. Uh, as for the safeties, I think they made the right call uh, going with Durante Jones and Malik Dixon back there. Um, Stan Cross, Alfred Che going to get worked in as the backups too, I'm sure here and there. Um, but definitely I think uh, Jones and Dixon is the way to go uh, starting at safety. I am just, you know, a, a little, the one reservation I have, because I feel like this is a little more legitimate than um, Burns being listed over Carter at running back is Miles Bell being listed as a backup, because if he's not healthy, that could be a pretty significant loss to our secondary. Yeah. And so that's an area where you can't really afford to be benching guys like Bell, to be perfectly honest. Uh, on uh, One comment I wanted to make on the defensive depth chart is it really seems like two different people filled it out and they didn't really talk to each other during it because I think Hunter Webb could be listed as backup to uh, <laughs> to all four to all four linebacker positions <laughs> and the fact that uh, we have offensive linemen tons of repeats there and uh, again a walk-on listed as a backup to the opposite outside linebacker position where Hunter Webb is could be honestly could be a starter in his own what right yep yeah it makes me think that way but other than that, the front seven were pretty much exactly as we expected it to be. I think that McCarthy is going to get the uh, the lion's share of the rotational snaps in at the uh, at the defensive tackle positions, uh, along with along with Stafford and Yates. But McCarthy seems like the the uh, first guy off the bench there. And then I think that Sheeran and Bell again could potentially make their way into the starting lineup uh, in, in the first couple of weeks, at least. Uh, could see some major shakeups on the depth chart in, in those certain positions that we mentioned in the first couple of weeks of the season. Right. And I, 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 th I agree with both of you. Hunter Webb could end up being a starter there too, uh, depending on how things shake out or if someone goes down to injury. Um, and at defensive back, just wanted to note, Sheeran is the transfer from, from Missouri. Uh, so someone to break through on the, on the two deep from the transfer portal, good, good addition. Uh, and a couple of, couple of those, uh, on, on the starting lineup there for Mora, but yeah, I mean, uh, the, the defensive backs, you still can't help but be a little bit concerned, still a very green group, um, but I, I actually feel okay about the front seven. I actually didn't know that Swenson was a middle linebacker. I thought he was, I thought last year he was more in like the, that, um, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I thought he was more in like that hybrid linebacker kind of position. Uh, so that's like new to me, but maybe I just missed that. He is still, he is a converted defensive back sort of sort of by trade and his position last year was was a little bit fluid i'd say well like you're mentioning but with his tackling chops and and the, the job that he did at the position last year i think that it's not not a huge leap to have him in that uh middle linebacker position now uh the one thing i did mess up the, in the uh front seven my one mistake is i had jackson mitchell as uh sam and swenson as well but so I, I, that's my bad. I I, I can uh, send in my resignation now or later, but yeah, either way, uh, it it wouldn't surprise me to have him line up as an, as a nickel as a nickel linebacker in uh in those sort of formations when they choose to deploy. It. He's 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 pretty versatile. Again, he's part of that really strong middle core of uh of the UConn defense along with Mitchell and uh, Durante. So. Uh, it's sort of what, what to expect from him, him in that position. Okay. So we've gone through 
what to expect from Utah State, how UConn potentially matches up, what's kind of at stake for a number of different position groups. As we discussed at the beginning of this podcast, the spread is 27 points. So I'm going to put you guys both on the spot here. What is UConn's point total? Just, just you know, uh, open, open field. What's UConn's point total? And then what's your guess for UConn plus 27 at Utah State this weekend? You know, given the odds, I kind of like it. Um, I, you know, obviously you can't really... <laughs> You can't really do all that well if you're just betting on UConn football. Uh, so please do not take this as an actual recommendation. But nonetheless, I feel like the opportunity for UConn to surpass expectations just a little bit is actually going to be there. For point total, it's not going to be zero this time around. I'll say something like, I'll say 17 or 20. I think that's probably, it could be a little high, but you know that Utah State is also going to want to try to move the ball pretty quickly in the uh, first half. And I think that we're going to want to see that from UConn as well, if they have any chance of winning this game. So there's a chance that this one's a little higher scoring than expected. I think that ultimately would benefit Utah State, but I think that UConn can also keep pace a little bit and try to get them off their game. And so, yeah, I, I think that UConn scores uh, a decent amount. I don't think this game ends up being all that close at the end, but I think within 27 points is a reasonable expectation. And hopefully they can achieve that. I'd say that the odds are, you know, 60-40 in favor of UConn cover. Well, Zach, you mentioned UConn it being tough to bet on UConn football. Even if you take the spread, they were 6-6 six and six against the spread of us last year. Ooh. So if you're trying to... Uh, if you're trying to bet against the spread for UConn football, it's eh, not an easy, not an easy task either. They uh, hopped up and probably bit some people last year when uh, people thought that they wouldn't. But this year, I would say, in terms of the Utah State game, I think that a pretty classic UConn score is getting palindromed. So I'm I'm going maybe 41 to 14, which would uh, put which would leave them covering, I believe. Right, forty. Uh, that sounds like a push to me. If it's twenty-seven, that sounds like exactly twenty-seven. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm seeing twenty-seven and a half. On no free ads. Action network. There's movement, but the line is moving. Okay, so <laughs> so you've got a you've got a. It'll be really close on the twenty-seven and a half point spread. I'll say they'll cover twenty-seven and a half, but if it's twenty-seven, they'll push. Uh, that that would also leave them not making the over. The over under is fifty nine and a half. Mm, it's a high high over under. Something yeah, something to think about. Yep. So I, I had you know I was really close to you, Luke, on on point total. A little less optimistic about touchdowns though, so that's why I had thirteen points for <laughs> my point total. I do not think UConn is going to cover the spread. Uh, and so I'm not going to make a guess, but I, I, I actually think Utah state will have similar ease as Fresno state in scoring as it did last year, uh, just to make some parallels. And if the offense struggles, UConn fans know this well, it can compound the defense, uh, the defense's challenge in stopping the other team if they get short breaks and can only sit on the sidelines for uh, two minutes of real time before having to get back on and, and play defense, which, which is tough. I will also just point out um, looking at the college football schedule for week zero. I do think a decent amount of eyeballs will be on UConn at this time as it relates to kind of the national media, college football media, college football, Twitter, folks of that nature. Um, the the uh, big games that day are Nebraska Northwestern taking place at 12.30 p.m. Eastern time from Aviva Stadium in Dublin, Ireland. So that's uh, interesting and fun, possibly, for, for those involved. But that's going to be the, the kind of big game in the early time slot. At 3.30, you've got 
Idaho State at UNLV. And then there's two floor, two four o'clock games, UConn at Utah State, Wyoming at Illinois on the Big Ten Network. So again, I, I think looking at the rest of the schedule, it's it's kind of one of the more enticing games out there for for that day. If you're interested in football programs that are a disaster, there's one of those in Yukon. If you're interested in football programs that are ascendant, there's one of those in Utah State. Uh, and that's that's more interesting than a lot of the rest of the slate for week zero. I know it's not saying much, but I do think it's important to just point out a lot of eyeballs will be on this this debut for Jim Mora as the new head coach at UConn. As interested as I am in how Scott Frost and Pat Fitzgerald play uh, play their part in uh, fulfilling the Irish reunification of 2024, as foretold by Star Trek, I think that uh, it's gonna it, it might be the most the closest game of the day in terms of uh, in terms of watchability. Now, in terms of how entertaining it'll be, not very, but uh, UConn. At Utah State, we've uh, gone over that. At Nauseam, I do think Wyoming at Illinois will might be as much of a biblical beatdown. I think Illinois is is pretty good this year, and Wyoming, they don't have any players, and it's it's tough to tough to win without any players. But uh, uh, the real game that day, I have my eye on as a, as a bit of a nightcap, is Vandy at Hawaii. Now, similar to Wyoming, Hawaii also doesn't have any players, but. It's going to happen at 1030 at night. And what else are you guys going to be doing? Going out? Come on. A couple of former opponents that you mentioned, though, in Vanderbilt and Wyoming. Former UConn opponents last year. So we did get a chance to see them. We should have beaten both of them, too. That's the part of the annoying thing there is that we uh, we very much had an opportunity to beat both of them late in the fourth quarter. And, well, you guys know how the season ended. So I will not dwell on that. All right. Well, folks, we hope you enjoyed our preview of UConn football's season opening game. We're going to have a lot more preview material on UConn football forum and the UConn blog. Thank you all for listening.